you have your Bibles, can you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9? And uh, Mary Pizzi is going to read that for us this morning before Steve preaches. Why don't we give Mary a hand as she comes and reads God's word to us. Glasses? Yeah, glasses. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 9, Paul's example as an apostle. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes. This is written for our sake, because he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living from the gospel, by the gospel. For my part, I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case, for it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because I am compelled to preach, and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward, but if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights in the gospel. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one under, sorry, repeat, uh, to the weak, I become, became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I may, by every possible means, save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. 
Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Thanks, Mary. We live in days, don't we, when uh, our rights are everything. I'm coming to the age where uh, I'm getting lots of things about pensions and I'm being sent things about know your rights, your pension rights. We're everything that we buy when we buy an insurance policy, we're told these are our rights. When we go shopping and we buy things online, we have rights. Everything is about rights. We're living in a world that's driven and shaped by human rights. For centuries, those holding the power have trampled over those that have none, causing huge injustice. It was Nelson Mandela who said, to deny people their human rights is to challenge their very humanity. Tom Wright, the Christian writer, says, all people are respected and valued, all people, not just some. And under this umbrella, many are rightly fighting for the rights of those who've been mistreated because of gender, ethnicity, age, vulnerability, and the list goes on and on. And yet at the other extreme, human rights can also be a euphemism for saying that we are independent and can do whatever we like whenever we like. And sadly, we all know that this can result in selfishness, arrogance, greed, which can be detrimental to people's human rights. And in 1 Corinthians 9, the passage that Mary has just read to us so well, Paul is speaking into this very issue. And he starts by asking a number of rhetorical questions about the rights he should enjoy because of who he is and because of what he's been called by God to do and because of all that he's achieved. And the Corinthians are clearly expected to say yes to each one of the questions. You know, I occasionally uh, try that approach at home, but it doesn't have the same impact of Paul's approach. Annie just finds it super annoying when I do that. But Paul sets out an impressive resume for us. He says he's a free man, but it's not because of his parentage or where he was born. It's rather because he is in Christ. He belongs to Jesus. Not only this, he says that he is an apostle and he has even seen Jesus. Wow. Paul, this great apostle, has established churches including the church in Corinth. Passion for Jesus, passion and care for the churches that belong to Jesus, drive Paul to help us handle how we uh, deal with rights and privileges that we have as followers of Jesus. And Paul uses himself as an example to help us. 
We read later in uh, chapter 11, verse 1, that he want, uh, Paul wants the Corinthians to be imitators of him as he follows Jesus. Follow me as I follow the example of Christ, is what he says. And so this morning, we're going to reflect on three things that Paul focuses on to help us understand how we should handle our rights and our privileges as followers of Jesus in this day. The first thing that Paul focuses on is the rights of others. The writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn says this, Human rights are a fine thing, but how can we make ourselves sure that our rights do not expand at the expense of the rights of others? We're living, as I said, in days of where people are fighting for their rights. We're living in days of inflation seemingly going through the roof. We're also living in days where people are fighting for pay awards. There are many, many, many people in society who deserve more than they're being paid for. And some of them are exercising the right to industrial action to fight for their rights. But the right to strike is complicated. And if you're following what's happening in, uh, with nurses at the moment, it's a hugely complicated issue. If you are a nurse here today, I want to say you are doing an amazing job. You are doing an amazing job. And personally, I think you should be paid more. But the challenge that you face and many of you are facing is, should I exercise my right to strike for better pay because I will impact others and the health of others potentially and their right for medical treatment? It's a huge challenge. You see, what's happening here in Corinth is believers in Corinth are insisting on exercising their rights and in doing so have harmed those who are weaker in their faith, as Paul talks about in the previous chapter. Tim ably unpacked that uh, last week. Now Paul challenges the Corinthians. He says, You've been doing that. You've been exercising your right at the expense of others who are weaker. But you have forgotten that I have rights too. His rights are being taken for granted. And in serving the church, he has the right to expect his basic needs to, uh, to be met. He has the right to have a believing partner with him who is supported alongside him. He shouldn't have to serve the church and hold down another job to provide for himself. And in making this point, Paul underlines this very theme. No one expects a soldier to have to pay or provide for his own rations. What a crazy thought that is. Anyone planting a vineyard surely is entitled to eat some of the grapes. Why shouldn't a shepherd looking after a flock of sheep 
be able to drink some of the milk that's coming from the flock. Paul then goes into the Old Testament and he underlines it using an Old Testament scripture. Deuteronomy 25 verse 4. Don't muzzle an oxen while it's treading out grain. This is written for us. It's not written there for oxen. It was uh, Martin Luther who uh, puts it. He says, it's written for us because oxen can't read. It's written for our benefit. That's why it's there. Don't muzzle an oxen while it treads out grain. Those who preach the gospel should earn their living from it. Just as priests were fed from temple offerings. Paul goes on to say this is Jesus' command. Listen, this principle is still relevant today. We are all driven by our need to consider our own rights. Sadly, we too often become intolerant and we have a lack of respect for those around us and uh, their rights and their right to expect certain things. We can become so focused on ourselves that we forget others. We should reflect before we react. How many of us have been on the phone to a call center and been super cross at the conversation that we're having? Anyone? Anyone here who's experienced that where you just feel cross about what's being said? How many of us think that the person in the call center is just the person at the end of a phone? They didn't set the ground rules. They're being paid a pittance to do what they do. It is one of the most miserable jobs. If you work in a call center, well done. It's a tough place to work. I remember talking to my daughter who was working in one. And she said, Dad, it's the most horrible thing. People are angry and they're shouting down the phone. And I don't know anything about it. I'm just there to take the call. How many of us are thinking about the person at the end of the line when we are so cross about our rights not being met? People created in the image of God who Christ died for have the right to be treated with respect. But particularly by us as followers of Jesus. Paul doesn't care about Corinthians providing for his needs, he makes that quite clear later on. He's not bothered about them uh, giving him, supporting him financially. He is making a point. He's saying, you have forgotten about me. You're so concerned about yourselves, you're not even thinking about, about me. I don't care about myself, but I'm trying to make a point. I'm trying to you to get this point. They should have been delighted to support Paul. They should have been thrilled to partner with him. They should have given with joyful hearts. It should have been the first thing they were thinking about. They weren't thinking about him at all. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul says that the church in Philippi supported him even when he wasn't working for them. 
They weren't, he wasn't even working in the church in Philippi at the time, and they are thrilled to support him working in other places. The Corinthians wouldn't even support him when he was working in them, among them. Paul isn't trying to manipulate the Corinthians to give. It's not about that. That's not what he's doing in this moment. He definitely doesn't want to be indebted to them because they're giving to him. Listen, money, he knows money can bring control. Oh, we're giving you this money. And he doesn't want to be indebted. He's looking to God. God is his provider. But Paul is reminding them of the privilege that they have in giving. Later, in a a later letter, he says to the Corinthians this. Listen to this. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. That would be places like Philippi. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, a severe trial. The days that we're going through at the moment are nothing to the trial that the Philippians and the Macedonians were going through. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And these Corinthians wouldn't even support him when he was working among them. We're living in days of austerity. But they're not the ones to cut back and be just thinking about our rights. We're to be those who think about others. Listen, there are loads of challenges in this season. Loads of challenges in... In church life, everybody seems stressed. But before we say anything, before we do anything, before we react and respond in frustration and irritation, let's think about those at the end who are going to receive what we say. Are we so focused on our rights that we are in danger of being ungenerous and unkind? Annie was telling me of a conversation she had following our online in focus that, we, that came out this week. And she was talking to someone who'd been, a, there'd been a group of three of them and they'd been watching it together. And as a result of it, The response, their response in the moment was to pray. Was to pray for all those that they saw and all that was going on. They prayed for their leaders. I was so encouraged. So encouraged that in that moment they saw a bigger picture and they just want to pray. Want to support. Want to get alongside. That should be our heart as followers of Jesus. We should be thinking about the rights of others. The second thing that Paul uh, draws out is that there is a greater goal. You see, our rights don't have to be exercised. 
Oswald Chambers, uh, an old Christian writer, wrote uh, a book called My Upmost for His Highest, book of daily devotions. I was given this when I was baptized in 1979 by my mother. And I just want to read something to you from this. There is no question of your rights. There is no question of your rights. The stamp of the saint, the Christian, is that he can waive his own rights and obey the Lord Jesus. The only right a Christian has is the right to give up his rights. You see, Paul hasn't used the rights that he's entitled to. In fact, he says, as we heard earlier, that he would rather die than use those rights. He says in verse 19, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I made myself a slave to everyone. He says, I'm not a slave, I'm free, but I'm going to be a slave to you for Christ's sake. God's love, God's love that we've experienced, that we're talking about, the God who came down for us, that picture of a submarine, we were at the depths of the sea in absolute despair with no way out, no hope of rescue, and one came down for us and rescued us. That's the love of God. How great is the love of God that he has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. God's love for us that we've experienced should cause us to want to serve others in doing what is needed to help them. That should be our great goal. In Romans chapter 13, verse 8, Paul says this, Don't owe anyone anything except to love one another. God's love for us causes us to want to serve others in doing what is needed to help them. And that's why what Paul says in in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, is so important. It just sums this up. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. You were called to be free. Only don't use this as a freedom, as an opportunity for the flesh. But serve one another through love. We're to use the freedom that we have, not to exercise our rights, but rather to love others by serving them that they might come into greater freedom in Jesus Christ. Paul says he is compelled by Christ's love. Paul's greater goal is sharing the gospel and he wants us to follow his example. We put ourselves out. You know, this coming Saturday we have the King's Chamber Orchestra here. They're great. Gerard, if you have seen Gerard, Gerard is brilliant at making people feel relaxed and comfortable. And he shares the gospel in such a gentle way. It is so unoffensive, but it is so clear. They're brilliant musicians. And last year, uh, as I was coming in to the, uh, the concert, 
There's someone there serving. Adrian is there serving drinks. Now, Adrian, uh, 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 had, there was been a day where Adrian said, I, I, he was bringing his wife, Dawn, to church. He said, I won't come through the doors of this church. It's not for me. I don't believe. And I'm walking in and he's serving drinks. He's serving mulled wine. I'm thinking, wow, what's going on? Later this year, earlier this year, Adrian was baptized, came to faith. It's brilliant. It's a great story. My point, my point is this. I'm not sure Adrian even likes classical music. I'm not sure he does. I don't know. But the point is this, that there's an opportunity to invite and bring people. So, so we're taking that opportunity. We're, we're inviting our neighbors because we want them to come under the sound of, of, of the gospel. We want them to hear. We want them to know this great love. And it's a great evening. Use this as an opportunity. Oh, it's, it's not for me. Well, it's not about us, is it? It's not about us. Bizarrely, Paul goes on to say that he became like a Jew to win Jews. He was a Jew. Do you get the bizarreness of what he's saying? I mean, it's a crazy... I became like a Jew to win Jews. He is a Jew. What's he talking about? Listen. When he came to faith in Christ, he became a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. He no longer sees his identity in his nationality. It's not about whether he's male or female. It's not about gender. It's not about sexuality. It's not about any of those things. He is a new creation in Christ. And so he can say, I became like a Jew because I wanted a wind juice. Because he wasn't thinking in that way anymore. The past was gone. Everything he'd relied on previously, he says in Philippians chapter 3, is just rubbish. Paul's free, but he chose to make himself a slave to all, following the example of Jesus. Who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Didn't consider the rights he had to be held on to. But he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross for us. He is our great example. As we follow Christ's example, we, like him, show the heart of God. Jesus became God incarnate, God in human flesh to reveal the gospel, to reveal the good news about a father who loves us. And as we follow Jesus' example, we show the gospel by the way we speak and the way we behave and the way we treat people. So when we're badly treated, when we feel slighted or offended, how we respond should be an incarnation of the gospel. We miss it so often. I miss it so often. And I'm not saying this to beat us up. I'm saying this to encourage us. There is a better way. There is a higher way. There is a greater goal. 
And yet, as Paul does this, he never waters down the gospel. The gospel is still scandalous to Jews and foolishness to Greeks, as we read in chapter 1. The message is the same, but the messenger isn't. We are changed. We're different. We have received the grace of God. And so Paul serves others to win people to Christ. And God wants us to be his examples, his ambassadors in these days. As though God was speaking through us, be reconciled to God. The stories of people in history who have done remarkable things. Men who and women who went to China years ago to preach the gospel. Gave up everything to do it. People who've gone to the furthest corners of the world, laid down their lives for the gospel to serve others. The stories of the Moravians in the 18th century, some of them selling themselves into slavery so that they could reach slaves for Christ. There is a greater goal. And Paul says his goal is to save some. Save from what? Jesus, we're told, saves us. He rescues us from the coming wrath. If there is a God who is holy, and if there is a coming judgment, then we need to be saved from it. If we don't believe the gospel or we have become blasé about it, we'll carry on focusing on our own needs. Paul's goal is to share in the blessing of the gospel. He knows there's a day coming where he will stand before God and he will stand with God's people and there will be people there who were there because he gave up his rights to serve them. There's a day coming when I'm going to be in glory and I'm looking forward to seeing Tony and Sally and others who I had the privilege of serving for the gospel's sake. And this can be true for each one of us and will be true for each one of us. There is a greater goal. Finally, there's a better prize. Paul closes and he's encouraging us, each one of us, to run, to live for God. To run in such a way that we win the prize. You see, the Corinthians know that he's referring to the biannual Isthmian Games. And he's comparing it to the Christian life. But there's one important difference. Only one person in those games, the Isthmian Games, won the prize. Whereas we, each one of us, can win the prize in the Christian life. And that prize is Christ. We are to live with our eyes on the prize. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Some people will say that to do things with a reward in mind is not spiritual. I want to say that is utter nonsense. Utter nonsense. We go to work expecting to be paid because the company have promised us a salary. 
And the idea that it's unspiritual to uh, do something because of the reward at the end is the height of arrogance of pride because God has promised so many times in Scripture that there is a reward for those who serve him and give themselves for him. And God doesn't lie. And if it's a reward and God says it's a reward, it's going to be good. And he's told us to encourage us in the race, this life. This reward, the desire for a reward should shape how we live in these days. Run in such a way as to win the prize. Paul says in Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's not be those who run aimlessly. There is a race to be won. Let's stay in our lane. Do what God has called you to do. Too many people want to stray out of their lane. They want to, God has called them to do this, but they want, they're over here, they're over there. We're not called to. We're called to run a race and run as best we can to win the prize. Not to be weaving our way across the lanes. This isn't an individual race. It's not just about you, it's about others. And so it's, that's why Paul is so determined to help the Corinthians and us win the prize. John Piper says this, As a matter of fact, in the Christian race, one of the rules is that you must help others finish. Finishing the race is a community project. To win a race or a fight, it's one of the, the other analogy Paul uses, we need to exercise self-control. Self-control is everything. A boxer submits his body to physicality. He doesn't beat the air. He, beats his, he puts his body under the cosh, to, uh, brings it under self-control to achieve the goal, to win the fight. It's why Paul says earlier in this letter that we are to honor God with our bodies. We're to be those who obey the word of God. We're to be those who pray and seek his face. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, said, Every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. God wants us to be people who are praying for others, on our knees, pleading with God for others. Those who are going through difficult times, those who don't yet know him, he calls us to be wrestling in prayer. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we need to throw off everything that hinders us, anything that slows us down or could trip us up. And the Bible gives us great instruction on attitudes and habits we need to put off if we're going to run a good, good race. Just read Colossians 3. Paul doesn't want us to be disqualified. The perseverance to run well comes from a promise of a prize and warnings. Listen. The victor's game in the the victor's crown in the Isthmian Games was made out of withered celery. I wouldn't run a marathon for that. I would not run a marathon for that. 
but I will, I will live the rest of my life to be with Jesus. I will do that. So as we come into land, will we lay down our rights to love and serve others? Will we bow the knee to King Jesus for the sake of the gospel? Not to earn anything, but just because we so love him. We are so ravished by his love for us that we'll do anything for him. Will we bow the knee to our rights? There is a greater goal, the gospel. Winning people to Christ. He saves but we have a part to play. Will we be all things to all men that we may save some? Will we go the extra mile? Will we turn the other cheek? At the end of Revelation, Jesus says this, look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Listen, we're going to be with him forever and ever. World without end. What a reward. It will all be worth it. It will be worth everything. So let's lay down our lives to live for him, loving and serving others with all our heart. Let's just take a a moment to reflect. The band can come and join me on stage. I'm going to just pray for us in this moment and then I'm going to hand over to Tim and Tim will lead us in a response. And in our response, maybe we need to, this is a moment to bow the knee. What we're saying as we do that, we're saying, Lord, my rights, I submit my rights, I give myself, I let go of them all for you and a greater goal. Determined to do that. Help me do that, Lord Jesus, by your spirit. Maybe that's how we respond. Maybe when we're singing, maybe when Tim leads us at the end, maybe that's the response you need to make. Maybe your response today is, I'm going to bow the knee to King Jesus for the first time today. I've heard this call of, he loves you and wants you to turn to him. Let's just take this moment. Let's reach out our hands to him. Holy Spirit, I pray in this moment, this moment right now, come and work in hearts and lives of these precious people in front of me, those that you love, Lord Jesus, you gave yourself for. I pray that you would draw them on Transform them increasingly into the image of Christ. Work in their hearts in these next moments that they would pursue you in a new way. That they would follow you more nearly. 
listen to you more clearly, love you more dearly. I pray, Holy Spirit, come work in hearts and minds. Let's stand to worship and then Tim will lead us in a response.